Um, a meditation on this second week of Lent, inspired by the writing of Reverend Sarah Condon. Lent is the season that will never be co-opted by popular culture. Advent and Christmas, they may want, but they'll never want Lent. Lent is 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by the devil, a confusing figure we'd rather ignore. 40 days. We give up Facebook, added sugar, and fast food, the modern Lenten trinity, in order to identify with 40 days of wilderness and temptation. We think if we give it up, we'll understand, we'll know, we'll feel what he felt in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted. But this was a toe-to-toe battle with Satan himself. This was being offered a kingdom and saying no, where we would have said yes, 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 give me my crown. And he said no, because we couldn't, because we never could. Lent is not the time where we identify with Jesus. It's when we watch him from afar. We watch his slow and inevitable movement toward brutalization and death. Death by our hand, and we know who wins, but it doesn't lessen the pain. We have to watch, need to watch, because it's not about identifying with it, but knowing that we can't, we can never, because we would have said yes, we would have taken that crown, we would have forsaken everything and everyone, because we wouldn't have lasted one single day, and giving up social media won't make that better. We are not in the desert, but we watch the one who was. We watch him deny himself and know we never could. We watch him deny himself to remember our own powerlessness, to remember how much we need him, to remember how we killed him, and to remember how he saved us. Exodus 2, 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and and cried out for help. Their cries for rescue from slavery came up to the Lord, and the the Lord heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew the word of the Lord. Since it's Lent, I'm going to sing all the way through my sermon. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, before we actually get into this text, I want to just kind of go back a little bit, do a little bit of, uh, of history and just kind of a real very brief history starting from Abraham and all the way back down to this. Um, we first encounter this story um, with God interacting with Abraham through giving him basically the Abrahamic covenant, preparing the way for the coming Savior, preparing the way for the coming uh, of the Messiah. Um, And then we also know that Abraham and Sarah have their miracle baby, Isaac, um, born to them at about 100 years of age. And then Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is one of the most curious characters in all of scripture, probably the most controversial. And we know two uh, very simple facts about Jacob that we all know. One, 
Uh, Jacob is the man that actually got into a wrestling math with, match with God. Uh, and he managed to walk away with a blessing. And then he also managed to walk away with a limp. Um, so just a side note, if you decide at any point that you wanted to engage God in some sort of wrestling match, um, you might walk away with a blessing. But for sure, you'll never be the same. You might even walk away with some sort of limp. Um, Jacob is also the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of his sons is Joseph. And we're going to spend just a little bit more time thinking about Joseph here. Joseph was not only the favored son, but he was also the forsaken son. Forsaken by his brothers. Joseph eventually was sold off to slavery by his brothers. They actually at first attempted to throw him in a ditch and hoping that he would die at some point, but saw an opportunity to make a little bit of cash off of him, uh, sold him into slavery. Um, after that, he was falsely imprisoned. Uh, we kind of, most of us remember that story. Um, and during his time in imprisonment, he was able to um, interpret some dreams from Pharaoh, where Pharaoh's guys could not interpret the dreams. So in doing so, uh, Joseph actually wins favor with Pharaoh. And in Genesis 41, 40, we see that after he interpreted the dreams, Pharaoh is like, all right, from this point on, I am going to put you in charge of everything with the exception of my throne. So, J- so Joseph has high favor with the Lord. Joseph eventually is reunited with his brothers um, during the time of famine, they come to him. And so what Joseph had prophesied over them is now coming to fruition. He's seeing it happen right before his eyes. Um, um, he's united with his brothers. Um, sorry, I lost my place here a little bit. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Joseph is united with his brothers. Um, they have enjoyed the land of, of Egypt. Jacob eventually dies. His brothers are afraid because they think now that their father is dead, Joseph is going to take revenge on them. And in Genesis Genesis 50, verses 19 to 21. This is absolutely beautiful. Joseph says, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? Joseph is basically saying, Am I, do I get to judge you guys? I'm not in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring me into to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and then he spoke kindly to them. Joseph eventually dies. So from that point on, we begin to see that Joseph's influence over Egypt is slowly eroding, and eventually, it completely disappears. And at one point, where the Israelites were enjoying the favor of their hosts, now, 
they have been cast into slavery, into captivity, they become the slaves of the Egyptians. So now we go back to Exodus 2, 23 and 35. I'm going to read it again. During those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They cried for rescue from slavery. Their cry for, for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groan, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew what, right? God knew exactly what was going on to the Israelites. He saw all their pain and all their suffering. He saw all the dehumanizing and degrading acts committed against them. He saw all the murderous acts. He saw when they presided over the legalization of infanticide. The killing of babies. If you're like me, and my mind always goes here, right? In in my pain, in my suffering, and when I look back at the history of my pain and my suffering, I always come back to the same basic questions. God, where the heck were you? Why didn't you stop this? Or why did you wait so long to show up? But I promise you that the presence of God is going to be, once again, be displayed, not just to the Israelites, but also to the Egyptians. When I was about 17 years old, I got into a a very violent fight with my stepfather, and actually, my hands still bear the scars of that fight. Um, after the fight was over, um, I shared a little bit of the story before. My mom betrayed me, or at least I felt at that time was just a great sense of betrayal. She threw me out of the house. I called my youth leader. He picked me up around 3 o'clock in the morning. I stayed with him for a couple nights. Um, scared, confused. I thought... You know, that I could handle it, but the truth is, I, I absolutely couldn't. I didn't know what to do. Ooh. And then God heard my cries. God heard the groanings of my heart. And a lot like when we go, go back to Exodus, as God hears the cries of the people and they rise up to him, he sends Moses. At least he calls Moses. And we'll get back to that. So as he heard my cries, and he's, as he heard my pleas, as he saw my fear and uncertainty, my confusion, God sent several men into my life. The first one we talked about, Gerald Exley. The second one, and this is just the way that God works. It's the man that I moved in with eventually and lived with for about a year and a half. He took me in. I have no job, no money, high school dropout. And he said, hey, you know what? You can move in with me. The one condition, you have to finish school. You have to become a productive member of society. I will not let you live in my house, sleep on my couch, if you're not going to do anything. 
Of course. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. He took me in. He fed me. Put clothes on me. Bought me some gym shoes that I tried desperately to find uh, this past week, or my family did, in, in, in storage, and we couldn't find it. A pair of gym shoes that I still have to this day. A pair of green and white Nikes, running shoes. And I beat those things to death. I wore them every day. I wore them out. And when they got worn out, I cut them up and made sandals out of them. <laughs> and I wore them even longer. I put them in storage and kept them there. So as God heard my cries, he sent me Danny. Danny called or texts maybe about a month ago or so, or maybe sooner, and said, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago on this day and this day, and that just happens to be today. This wasn't planned, and I'm like, dude, you're going to be part of my sermon. You know, I was going to try to bring out those dusty gym shoes, but since you're here, you'll do better than the dusty gym shoes. Danny's just a man. And if I could point out one thing that Danny kept pouring into my heart the time that I lived with him. Because my heart is always searching for a father. I'm 47 years old, guys. And I'm still searching in one way or another. My heart is still leaning and moving toward finding someone that could fill that void. And it's probably always going to be there. I don't think it's anything that's ever going to leave me. The debris of that drama will remain. The healing of the Lord is on me. I'm not saying, I'm walking around saying, Are you, can you be my dad? Can you be my dad? Um, not like that. But the pain and the weight of it is still going to be present. It's still going to be there. The number one thing that Danny showed me and taught me throughout my time with him is whenever I would try to lean in and press in for the father figure. And, and he was, and he still is. And my kids, when he came home for the house for dinner, were, were threatening to call him uh, grandpa. Um, as he would always say, Christ is always greater, and I must always de- decrease. And he would point it back to God, point it back to Christ. Even last night, again, when he was leaving, he parted with a few words and he said, hey, I just want you to know, wonderful family, beautiful family, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, well, I mean, you're part of my story too, Danny. It's not just me, you're in this. And he's like, I know, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And if there's one thing for us to take out of the story here, as the people are groaning and God's hearing their cries, and as Moses comes and as he calls Moses out, he's also saying, Moses, rest assured, I will be doing the work. I will be doing the heavy lifting. And you can see Moses continuing to resist and pushing back against that. And God would say, well, put your hand in your cloak, pull it out, there's left relief, we'll pull it back out, and then he's healed. And God is continuing to say, Moses, I am the one that's going to be doing this. And God, what if they don't hear me? And then God says, didn't I make your mouth? Aren't I the one that gave you that tongue? Those lips? I will speak for you. I will speak through you. But God, what if they don't listen? I'm sending Aaron. Aaron will be with you. And I will speak through both of you. And through both of you, I will perform great miracles. The man that I talked about earlier, my stepdad, this is also happening in this time frame. The man that helped me get a lot of these scars on my hand. My sister sent me a text a couple weeks ago. My half-sister's her father, and she said, Dad is in the hospital. Um, I was almost emotionless, like, honestly. Part of it, I, mean, I just really didn't care. I was like, oh, so I sent some incredibly phony sentiment. Oh, sorry, sis. I'm praying for your father. Um, and she had asked, can you go visit him? And I was like, ah, sure, I'll go. He's laying in his bed, completely emaciated, dehydrated. His caretakers had just basically put him in a room and they were letting him starve to death, content with perhaps letting him die. And my sister, trying to follow up on him, um, reached out and was able to somehow get a hold of him. She knew something was wrong. So she went over there, found him, laying in his waist and his urine, called the police, called the ambulance, and they take, got him, took him to the ICU. And there he is now. This old man, helpless, broken, confused. The only thing that mattered at that moment. I went up to his bedside and in Spanish, I just started sharing the gospel with him and put my hand on his chest and one hand on his head. And I'm like, do you understand me? Do you understand what I'm saying right now? And he looked up, a little bit afraid, 
And he said, yes. I said, do you remember the stories of the Bible? And he said, yes. I go, do you know the love that God has for you? And he said, yes. But do you know the free gift of salvation that Christ has for you now? And he said, yes. I go, do you receive the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ? And he said, yes. And I said, you know what I'm saying, right? Do you understand me? And again, he said, yes. And for some reason, I said, well, now you have peace. Rest. Go to sleep. And he fell asleep like a baby. I couldn't explain it. Just closed his eyes and fell asleep. And my heart wanted in the beginning to just say, look, this is what your entire life was leading up to. This moment, right now, you in the bed, all alone. But the presence of God was there. The comfort of God was there. So we can look at the story leading up to the Exodus and the moment um, where the Israelites find themselves and we can ask God justifiable questions. What the heck were you thinking? Why did you not rescue them? Or we can see that God did exactly that. That the presence of the Lord was there. The comfort of the Lord was there. It doesn't mean that our afflictions are going to just simply disappear because God shows up. The comfort of the Lord doesn't mean that he's going to come down and just simply wrap his arms around you and say, everything is going to be okay. Nothing bad is going to happen to you again. I'm going to completely heal you. I'm going to completely pull you out of your circumstances. What he says is, no. The world was broken back then. The world will continue to be broken now, And what I need for you to remember is that I have promised to never leave you and never forsake you. He says that more in scripture than proclaiming his love for us. In doing that, he is proclaiming his love for us. But more than that, he wants us to know that in our present suffering, no matter how heavy it is, that his presence is always before us, that he has not forsaken or abandoned us. How do we know? As his children? The comforter. We have been 
given the Holy Spirit. The Spirit resides in every single one of us that has called on the name of the Lord. The Spirit can interpret our inaudible groans. The Spirit can discern what we need by our our silent cries. The Spirit speaks silent language. He knows. He hears every cry of your heart. He knows every heartache. He knows every secret pain. He knows the person that has hurt you. He's known, he knows the person that has oppressed you. And he will have justice. But it may not look like what we want. We might find ourselves in a place someday where we say the same words that Joseph echoed to his brothers. What you have meant for evil, God has meant for good. Let me now comfort you with the presence of God. Let me share with you the good words of salvation. Danny stepped in an incredible and critical time in my life. God used Danny to reach me and to comfort me in my time of need. Danny became my people. The difference in suffering in the presence of God and suffering outside the presence of God can be catastrophic. It's one thing to suffer all sorts of tragedy, but if we know we are in the presence of God, then we have hope that perhaps on this side of eternity, we know things will be so much better than they currently are right now. And family, that is the only thing that me and my entire family are holding on to. And we have mentioned, I mentioned before, in this season of Lent, we're in this place of just unhappiness. Our hearts are still broken. Our hearts are still hurting. Then God sends us a gift again. It reminds us you're not alone, family. I'm sending Danny again. Sending Danny to remind you and to remind your kids that I am present in your life. You have not been forsaken. Let me pray. Father, we know you hear us. 
Father, we know you love us. And Father, oftentimes it at least eludes me that you're present in my life. Father, when the weight of this world just comes crashing down around me and us, we lose sight of you. We forget that you were there. Father, help us to know that you're always present in our life. You are the God of all mercies. And you are the God of all comfort. Father, teach us to just rest in that simple truth that your promise to remain with us is irrevocable. You will always remain with us if we would just lift our heads and see that you are there. In your name I pray.